Welcome back to The Handmaid's Podcast, episode three. Our episode this week is called Baggage. Uh, hi, my name is Donna Bali, and I'm your producer and host. And back again this week with me is Abigail Johnson and K. Megan Washington. Hello, ladies. Hi, guys. Oh, hello. Um, before we get into this uh, very controversial episode, we have some <laughs> we have some uh, fan mail to answer. Oh, um, so cool. I uh, always encourage people to write to us and uh, give us their questions and comments about anything um, in the series they want more clarification on or just want to add to the conversation. So we have some uh, really good tidbits. Um, so okay. from episode one. We have a comment from Elizabeth L. on our Facebook page. You can find mm-hmm. us on Facebook. Um, search at The Handmaid's Podcast or Facebook.com slash The Handmaid's Podcast. And uh, you'll hook up on all of our posts there. But she posted this image. I'll repost it on our page uh, when I post this um, audio. It says, great two episodes, but I was dying to know what you all thought of this scene comparison. Is Serena now essentially trapped like June was back then. And it's oh, literally a side-by-side yes. side mm-hmm. of June and her handmaids in the window of that bedroom she's in. And it's um, the exact same frame. Exact same framing. And it's Serena. It's um, season one, episode one, where Alfred is in that, sitting in that window. And then mm-hmm. season two, episode one, where Serena's sitting in that window after she, um, where why. they've discovered that uh, June has escaped, right. essentially. Mm-hmm. Um so, yeah, so her question is, is Serena now essentially trapped like June was back then? What do you guys think? Well, she's always been trapped. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, that hasn't changed. <laughs> when when it comes right down to it, I think this just sort of underscores it. Right. Um, that it seems like she has all of this freedom and privilege as a wife, but she doesn't, mm-hmm. really. Um, especially considering the way that she used to live before all of this. So, um, yeah, I mean, it's, it's clearly on purpose. Yeah. You don't frame something the exact same way and as, like, our, as our technical expert here, yes, I'm sure, will we'll point yeah, out. Yeah, duh. Everyone just looked at me for a second like, <laughs> yes, I am your tech expert when it comes to film. <laughs> um, and the lighting and everything is so striking. It's like so exactly the same. It's um, literally the same frame, guys. Yeah, yeah it's, it's pretty incredible. And, and when, uh, Elizabeth, thank you for posting this because uh, I took one look at it and I was like, how did we miss that? So thanks, Elizabeth. That was like a really great comment. And uh, I, I really enjoyed you contributing that to our conversation for episode one and two. Um, so this next little piece I take lots of issue with, and you will soon see why. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Jennifer M. Um, posted, Hi, I'm ha- having this fantastic discussion about the continuity from the end of season one to the horrid opener for season two. Yes. Okay, Nick tells June to go with them as she is being led out to the van. Then in season two, she is handed over to be tortured. Some said this was a continuity problem. No. But I don't think the writers would be that careless. I agree. However, could Aunt Lydia be part of the resistance? Question mark. Doubtful. Personal mark. Could Nick betray June? Point of contention. Because You've I think already no, otherwise, no, but other people think yes. K being sort of on the fence about that. What? Hey, <laughs> it's called a soulmate. Damn it! <laughs> Was this the only way to get June out of the clutches of the commander and the wife? More likely. And I mean, seeing as how it was like a group effort, 
maybe it was like interceded because then afterwards the whole like uh what is that the rabbit trail with the red dots happens at the doctor's office right so did nick know eventually she was gonna be given to the doctor because she's pregnant okay so here's my view of the whole thing okay my perspective is he knew what was about to happen because Mm. he's not stupid he's part of the eye the eyes everywhere and the eye knows you know June and the other handmaids in that unit, you know, did the whole rock drop because mm-hmm. uh, they refused to beat someone to death and would rather send her to the colonies because apparently that's better. I don't know. But she was a friend. They didn't want to stone her. That's the point. And he's the eye knows everything. Like, let's just be real. Like, it's yeah. basically the NSA of, the, of them. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So for them to not know what was going to happen at this event yeah. would be obscure. Of yeah. course, the eye knows what's going to happen. So he said... Just trust me. Mm-hmm. Like you're gonna be okay. Uh, yeah, that makes yeah. And then she and, goes, goes through mm-hmm. the whole motion, is scared out of her wits. But the whole time in that scene, even though you guys recorded without me, <laughs> the whole time in that scene, I was watching and I was like, "But he said it's gonna be okay. But he said it's gonna be okay." I was like screaming <laughs> yeah. at my computer. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not even joking, guys. Listen, I mean. The cinematography and the mood and everything, I was like, okay, they they can't possibly kill all of them. But I had doubts. I started to have doubts. And I'm like, the very last second, I was like, she's going to be the only one standing. She's going to be the only one standing. Like, I had like a thought in my head, but then they were all standing. But my point is, there's no way that he didn't know what was going to happen. Mm -hmm. Yeah. He knew what was going to happen once she went to the doctor, though. I think so. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That was the point. Yeah. He knew what was going to end up happening. Yeah. Like we've already got this. He's in not place. stupid and he's an eye. So let's just accept that that's what happened. We we've already got all this in place and trust me, we we're working on it. Mhm. I think so too that it might have taken a clever distraction of all of that happening and everyone's sort of caught up in that drama and then they're not really seeing this escape coming Mm because they're like they just did this really bad thing as a group and they just got punished and tortured horribly as a group sans june but she she had some of it as well She was being tortured in a different way in a Mm -hmm. very different way and uh so i think they're like oh okay we're cool for a little bit like no one's gonna try shit because they know that this is what happens and i wonder i think it was a whole rebellion of june's was like the perfect moment yeah because that gave them that, like, scapegoat. Mm-hmm. Like, everything's going to be good for a couple months. We're good. We're solid. We don't have to worry. We can ease back now after this extreme event. And, like, I wonder if Nick and whoever he's conspiring with, they were like, June just gave us the perfect cover. Yeah. I wonder because throughout see, uh, season two, throughout episode two, and when we get into episode three, there is this very much sense of how segmented and how compartmentalized they make these routes in order to protect the most protect people. Because if they grab you and they torture you, people are very fallible, understandably, sure. under torture to give information. That's why, you know. Uh, so that's why no one really has info and that's why no one has info well i mean that's the way the underground railroad worked no. was that you only knew your little section mm-hmm. of the chain and you knew nothing about what came before you and nothing about what came after you because then if something happened to you yeah you were only missing that one segment and the rest of it wasn't poisoned 
Okay, so Stacy M replied to Jennifer's comment saying, I don't think Nick will betray June. She's carrying his child, and he's already stuck his head out enough for her to get himself hanged. I don't think it was a continuity problem. Nick himself is just a cog in a wheel. Mm -hmm. Perhaps he told her to just go, maybe to ease her anxiety, even though he knew she had no choice but to go regardless of what her fate was. It's possible Aunt Lydia is part of the resistance, but I am not leaning that way right now. She's far too brutal with them. Her humanity, excuse me, peaks out here and there. But, and I think that's what you're picking up about. I, I definitely agree. I don't think there's any doubts about where Aunt Lydia's loyalties lie, no. at no. least for me, for mm -hmm. sure. Not at all. Absolutely She's not. not a part of it. Yeah. She fully believes in what she's doing. We've talked about that in prior episodes where mm -hmm. she mm -hmm. fully believes in everything she says and does. Uh, yeah. As Kay loves to say, a true believer. Mm -hmm. I love that term. Uh, and... Season two, episode three. I think this is the first time where I feel like an episode has is like problematic to say, to like put it as simply as I possibly can. And uh, the episode wasn't <laughs> problematic. June was problematic. June yes, is thank very you. problematic. Okay. I will concede to that point. June is very problematic in this episode. But we do get some actually very surprising points that I wasn't expecting the show direction the show to go in. Um, so June, it, it opens with June running around the Boston Globe offices just everywhere. Which I kind of liked. Yeah, and she says, and this a shrine slash memorial has expanded. She's mm -hmm. collected stuff. Mm -hmm. And she reveals uh, to us that she's been there for two months. Right. Two months is a long time to be by yourself. Right, which is why I really liked that opening sequence of her just jogging. Mm -hmm. Like, keeping herself sane with working out and doing, like, rhythmic things every day. Yeah, like, isn't that, like, you know, after, you know, sometimes specific trauma or large changes in your life, like, having a, a specific routine yes. Yes. helps to so keep you grounded. one of the main therapies when it comes to PTSD is to establish a new routine. Mm-hmm. To try to di differentiate between what happened before and what happened now. That way there's a break in time, essentially. Mm -hmm. Making a new routine and following through with it every single day. That way you know what's coming. Right. And you're prepared for it. Mm -hmm. uh, it's a similar thing that they do with um, children with autism. Mm. They will make sure that they have a routine. And if it ever has to change, they're alerted ahead of time. They're given coping mechanisms to deal with those changes. Gotcha. Like it's there's very specific reasons why um, rhythmic routines every single day are very beneficial to the human psyche, especially after damage. Mm -hmm. I think from a biological standpoint too, I did my undergrad in biology. Is that we're uh, mammals are not only mammals, but uh, mammals and um, lots of different species are very rhythmic biologically. Absolutely, and you know the. Most familiar thing to most people would be uh, what's called a circadian rhythm, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. you know, and has to deal with um, the cycles of sunlight and, and things like that. So there are a lot of triggers in our environment that um, lends uh, animals, um, many species, to a routine and uh, your, your biology um, within 24 hours goes through a certain routine. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Um, so... She has this uh, quote in the beginning, and uh, we know we're going to talk about uh, June's mother in this episode. She says, my mom always said women are so adaptable. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, I was like, oh, here we go. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and we skip uh, to over the pond to uh, Moira in Canada, and there is a parallel memorial in sort of this park public space 
of people who have lost people or are still missing, um, people who have uh, are refugees in Canada who are missing people or um, know who they've lost people to Gilead. Mm -hmm. So there's this parallel sort of memorial thing happened there, and Moira sort of is contending with that as she's jogging through this park. Um, she's living with Luke, and um, I believe also, uh, forgive me, I don't remember the name of the girl who used to be mute but mm -hmm. was rescued. She was also a handmaid. Mm -hmm. uh, they're living in this apartment, and Luke is just really fixated about anything that has to do with, like, bringing Gilead down. She's like, mm -hmm. they're bringing more troops to the border. They're, um, I hear some people, they're going to, like, maybe, like, do an invasion of New York. And, and Moira is sort of in this place where she just obviously is in transition. And she's obviously gone through a lot of trauma, just like what Abigail said, like PTSD. Some of those things, um, you know, are hard to just move on from right away. And so for her, you know, she now has this sudden freedom. And a lot of this episode and her storyline is just her kind of contending with what that means to her now. And the people that she knows are still there, primarily being June and Hannah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, so it's funny the way like this episode highlights the three people in this uh, little world in Canada who were uh, escaped from Gilead, how they're each coping and the mechanisms by which they cope. Luke is super fixated on like the, you know, toppling Gilead and Moira right now is really just uninterested with anything that has to do with any of that. Yeah. And, uh, she's just sort of living day to day. Yeah. She's just fine. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, so we'll get back to her. Um, and we come back to June. She's in the boss, uh, Boston Globe offices and she's making a timeline. <laughs> <laughs> and then I was like, pause. What does that say? <laughs> Like, we're gonna make a timeline we're doing it like we called this we called it we need a timeline we're making it i promise you it's yeah. and she's we're, got the we're, and she's we're got gonna have the, string we're gonna have pictures <laughs> we're gonna have labels like i got you guys mm -hmm. and we're going to have a voiceover like alice piasecki at, yeah you know, at and um yeah but she's the, in the perfect place to mm -hmm. get the stuff for a timeline because you've got the whole hospital morgue right hospital morgue newspaper uh, uh, morgue uh, uh, yeah <laughs> You knew what I meant. Newspaper funny, work. <laughs> yeah, I mean, right it's there. just like such a wealth of resources. Right. And I'm like, oh, yes. Mm -hmm. For her to piece together this information. Like, good from, for her. Yeah, out of perspective, too, because it's also been three years since uh, she was captured and, and, and sent to the Red Center right. to be a mm -hmm. handmaid. So she has all this perspective. And we spend a lot of time in season one looking back, like, what were the red flags? What led to this point, to this point, to this point? Right. But from her perspective and the people around her's perspective. And, you know, journalism at its very core is to have this unbiased perspective of, like, what what is happening in and to frame it in in the truest and um most neutral way right in the simplest of you know journalism is obviously much more complicated than that but it's the simplest simplest of concepts so you know to have that sort of um perspective i think for her is very intriguing and also she's by herself most of the time for two months mm -hmm. i mean that's a good very... for her for figuring things out to do yeah exactly some she's kept herself busy. nick pops in every you know once a week or whatever mm -hmm. 
said, I'm going to try to get here later in the week for up. a couple of days. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, that was sad. I thought that was a tender, yeah. sweet moment. It was, was a cute sad. moment. But guys, so what occurred to me in that moment when she didn't want to wake him up and he asked why, and she's like, well, because it's not exactly a win-win for me. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I'm thinking about Luke. Yeah. Like, say, say both of them, mm-hmm. or even just her. Let's say just mm-hmm. June gets over to Canada. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Then what? You yeah. know, she finds Luke and he's like, oh, you're pregnant. Well, okay, you were a handmaid. And she's like, but it's not his. Yeah. And we did it to survive. Is that really acceptable? Like, yeah. how's he going to take it? I, <laughs> season three, well, stay uh, tuned. Yeah, <laughs> I was about to say, because it look, doesn't look like that's going to be an issue anytime yeah. in the near future. Well, Definitely okay, not. before we get to that point, guys. So, <laughs> okay, so before we go there, um, <laughs> now let's pretend that it's june and nick that go across the border mm-hmm. you know you say hi to luke and then he's like wait you're pregnant okay you were a mm-hmm. handmaid yeah it's his he's mm-hmm. standing right next to me and he's in love with me and mm-hmm. i kind of like him too well mm-hmm. then what the what goes on next yeah like that's a whole new thing to consider i think that is something i am really looking forward to seeing unfold at some point whether it's I just june by herself i really hope it's june by herself because i feel like that Nick's has been going with her Okay. I don't think that's that. No, I'm just saying because if he was going to, he'd have known what when she was being picked up and he'd have been there for it. But he's been so like he keeps hanging out with her and he keeps talking about how it's their baby and how he wants his child and yet he's getting her out of the country. Like there's no way you have your you have your little fantasies that you live in when you have no choice. And he knows what her primary focus is is mm-hmm. i suppose um that also brings up for me i also wonder because in uh season one when uh we find out that nick is pretty much just outing that everything that commander waterford does to commander price who seems to be in uh, a higher position than commander waterford mm-hmm. in some way and uh at least from a morality standpoint and uh, power standpoint and so that makes me wonder if a lot of the similar drivers or similar staff in other households are also spies, which uh, to Commander Price, which makes sense. However, you know, to be, you know, parlaying information to sort of what seems at the moment the head guy of the head guys is sort of a position that is harder to walk away from than if you were just you know, any, you know, Martha or any other mm-hmm. staff that didn't really have that much, uh, you know, gravitas. But he has certain, like, like they would know he wouldn't be missing. And it would be not just Commander Waterford that's upset that he's missing. If we're assuming that Commander Price is the head guy. Mm-hmm. And uh, so he would piss off two commanders. One who yeah. is considerably... More powerful than Commander Waterford is, actually. He would actually be able to rise up and do something more about it. Yeah. Than just say, I'm taking over, but really, like, how much are you taking over? And yeah. Someone right. else would be like, and we're going to go start war. Like, get your <laughs> home. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you are coming home. So, for yeah. me, I think it's a difference in, you know, for them to run off together would actually make it more difficult than if you just got June across and then he'll just figure his own shit. Because... Also, in terms of, you know, storytelling, it adds so much more risk when you feel like you're in a situation and responsible for somebody else. You make really dumb decisions. And June made dumb decisions on her own. So, (laughs) you know, God forbid she was with someone and that person was in danger. I feel like she's gotten more ballsy and it's made her dumb. Yeah. 
Yeah, I think it's that desperation for sure that we'll definitely get to. Um, and then, so the major uh, theme of this episode is the relationship of June and her mother. Oh, really? I thought it was June being stupid. <laughs> but okay. <laughs> so what makes June's mother so interesting is that she is definitely portrayed as this hardcore activist, which in the literature she is. And, and that's very clear. Um, you know, and she goes to these marches and rallies and she's brought along as a very little kid. And, and that's all well and good. You know, when I went to the Women's March and, and, and various other protests, you know, I see lots of, you know, young um, boys and young girls all participating and like learning how to have a voice and having a, a viewpoint. And, and that's all fabulous. Um, and what takes the turn in this relationship, I think the way that... Um, June's mother is portrayed. I think the producer was like, this is a, a woman of a certain era. This is a feminist of a certain era. Like a hippie yes. era. Yeah, mm-hmm. and, it's, and it's before my time, but I think that what I started to think about is that when, when people talk about feminism and people being feminists and the sort of resistance mm-hmm. First and to second that and third wave, yeah. Is mm-hmm. that, is this particular... Portrayal, this particular feeling of this really intense, very singular, very kind of rigid, um, form burning. Yeah. And, and, and that had its time and place. But I think when people think of fen- feminism and people identifying as feminists is that that's Th- that what tends they to be the image. Of. Yeah. And uh, so and of course, feminism has evolved and, you know, the, it means the modern, different things, it means and, different things right. to different people. And, and it's a little bit more broad and definitely hopefully more inclusive Absolutely. than it used to be. So uh, so I just thought a lot about that, about how, OK, this is why people are resistant to this word is because they're resistant to this concept and they're resistant to this attitude and personality of, of, of this, this woman basically, you know, being kind of like a steamroller, like no matter what you say and do their way is sort of like the only way sort of thing. And that's like very singular of focus. Um, Well, and it's also, and it's not just that she's a feminist, it's that she's her mother. Mm hmm. I mean, most of us have relationships like that with our mothers where, you know, the mother's like, well, this is the way that I raised you and I expected you to result, yeah. that re- to that to result in a specific... And then, I mean, even June uh, talks about that. She's like, um, what was the phrasing? I didn't write it down. That mothers expect certain things of their daughters and daughters expect something of their mothers and it's never the same. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 Um, and then she just said that she wants to apologize to her daughter for that. Yeah. <laughs> But it's, it's, you know, that's just sort of how that goes. And I, I felt so bad for June when, you know, she's just so happy with her life. Mm-hmm. And we're having Moira over for dinner and I need my immersible blender, which gives us a general idea of when this must have been. Because, you know, you didn't have immersible blenders up until fairly recently. Yeah. I have one. Well, okay, but you also have an idea when they're in the car and you're listening to that song. Oh, yeah, you've got Holler Back Girl. Girl. And we know exactly what, you know, two-year frame that was in. Yeah. (laughs) Um, But she's so happy with Luke and, you know, and they're having Moira over and it's going to be so cool. And she's like, yeah, I don't think you should marry him. Yeah, that was You know, you're... I, I can't believe that you're just settling like this and I raised you better than this and 
you know, you used to have all of these dreams and you wanted to be on the Supreme Court and you wanted to do all this stuff and now you've just got this little piddly job and this little piddly life. And I was like, oh my gosh. I love the scene right before then, though, too, when, like, it's a, a, a group of ladies and, and people are asking about her. And she's like, yeah, I'm an assistant book editor. Actually, I just got promoted. Yeah, and yeah. she's, like, mm-hmm. trying to be really happy about it and excited. And she's looking to her mom and, like, for that approval, which I think a lot of people can identify with. And her mother's just, like, not there for her in that way. She just really could care less. And she, and to me, I'm like, ooh, book publisher, that's glamorous. Like, but, good for you, dude. Yeah, that's mm-hmm. awesome. You're a working uh, professional. But uh, she, her mother is, you know, has, you know, hoped that June would sort of be like, I made you in my own image. I've brought you along to these marches and activists for... I mean, they even kind of pick on what she's dressing. Mm-hmm. Which is just... I mean, I oh, thought she looked, looked nice. Lamb. Yeah, yeah. I think they thought yeah. it was a little too dressy. But, you know, she was talking about her... Oh, and, and Moira's the, um, you know, the editor of this of this queer fiction publication and oh that's really cool it's like wait 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 I'm sorry this is not even your child yeah I'm sorry but I'm because she's working on a queer fiction publish publishing press that that's more you know worthy of a ooh than you know assistant whatever she was like I can't remember the title but like it seemed a little bit more prestigious and yet she got no recognition I think it was more it was only because it was queer yeah, and like it, like that's some contributing bull. to the whole, to the whole subver- sub- sub- subversive culture and like a right. pushing the ag- agenda that she particularly is obviously um, pushing, um, and she doesn't feel that June has come up as intensely as she had hoped. So I think it really comes. You know, you could really apply this to to any profession and any <laughs> and oh, any sure. generation. I mean, I'm you know if. You've never seen a picture of me out there listening. Um, uh, I'm Filipino, and it's a very well-known um, thing that um, mo- a lot of nurses and um, medical professionals are Filipino. And uh, it was thrust upon me pretty heavily as I was growing up that, you know, maybe an expectation, but there's also this ease of like, oh, you know, there's so many in your family who do this type of work, and it becomes sort of an expected thing to do. But being um, a child of immigrants, I moved to the States when I was four years old. So I grew up as an American, you know, and I moved here in 1990. So I grew up in the 90s and with 90s culture. And so I grew up with a different sense of duty to my parents than the formal way of, you know, doing the profession that your parents have um, laid out for you to do or sought out for you to do or is expectant of you to do. So the career path that I eventually did end up choosing was, you know, a lot, a lot of times a really big point of contention. Now, you know, I'm 30 years old. The last time that, you know, I visited my father, it took less than 60 seconds for him to ask me about when I was going to go back to school and be a nurse. And now, yeah, and and now I, you know, I don't take it personally. Now it used to be understand. Yeah, it it used to really affect me. It really, really did. But now I don't take offense to it because I just know that it's coming from a place of, you know, he, he. That's how he's trying to express that he wants what's best for me and best for my future, and that's how he thinks is best and 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 is best to express it. Like you know. 
my my relationship with my parents and uh, my mother is vastly improved than when I was a teenager. I think a lot of people can say that. You know, when you age and mature, you really see the viewpoint of your parents, which I think is a uh, pretty relevant in this episode. What Abigail brought up um, about this cycle and mm-hmm. what she realizes, because a lot of the point of contention of her even trying to leave in the first place was she didn't want to leave Hannah behind. Mm-mm. Right, and that's really the crux of this episode is her fighting so hard to leave the one thing that's holding her back is hannah and it's no small thing Mm -mm. you know to leave your child behind and so she contends with that in this episode and she contends with the relationship she has with her mother in that she feels that her mother left her behind because you know all those feelings of either she wasn't good enough or you know just not gone down the path that her mother had hoped for her and can we give a a Shout Thumbs out. up and shout out to, to Cherry Jones yes. for her portrayal. Yes. Yeah. Fabulous, fabulous performance. Amazing. And then there's also the part, too, where uh, they see a picture of her in the colonies. Like, she's been <laughs> scooped up, and that's really emotional for them. God. That's out of the book. Yeah. Oh, is it really? Mm-hmm. It's in the book. Oh, I yeah. had no clue. I think in the book, Moira sees the picture and tells June. And tells June about it later. So yeah. here they're doing the slideshow of, you know, what happens in the colonies and you're doing great work and, you know, for, you know, the regime, you're, you know, tilling the soil and all that good stuff. Um, so she assumes that her mother is dead because that was in the Red Center three years before. And right. we all know that people in the colonies do not last very long due to radiation. That's a solid thought that she's not alive. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, well, and she's also not young. She was mm-hmm. 37 when June was born. She mm-hmm. wouldn't have made it long. June's in her early 30s mm-hmm. now. Now. Yeah. She's in her early to mid 70s somewhere. Yeah. 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 No, yeah. she's not still alive. And if she is, it's a miracle. Truly. Like she must have escaped somehow or yeah, that'll be interesting to circle back around to that. And, and she'll have some serious radiation poisoning for the rest of her life. Yeah. And probably cancer. Like, it's not going to be a pretty book if she is alive. Yeah. I think the assumption in the literature is that she's probably not. Right. And I um, hope that they keep two because that yeah, makes sense. That does make a lot of sense. But we've deviated a little bit from what we think we know about um, who gets sent where. <laughs> and, <laughs> um, and for yeah, what reasons. Um, well, I mean, let's, let's run over this. I mean, she is essentially an unwoman, mm-hmm. her, her mother. She's, um, she's too old to produce. Um, plus she was an abortion doctor, mm-hmm. although they oh, yeah, may or may, although they may or may not know that because, um, when June and Moira were talking about it, they were talking about how all the clinics burned yeah. all of the records so that they wouldn't know who the doctors, who the doctors were. were. Oh, yeah, that's smart. I um, but she... she the, the, the primary thing here is she's old. Mm-hmm. And she doesn't have viable ovaries. Yeah. Um, so... We'll send her off somewhere yeah. because yeah, she, she, she nice. and she was an activist, and so we don't want her around rabble rousing. Mm-hmm. Um, so we're not going to let her be. Um, yeah, send what, her what, off to the she call them? Econo people. Yeah, we definitely get to that in this episode. Right, which I didn't so, expect. We, I was like, 
Oh, the Econo people! I totally <laughs> forgot about you. I'm sorry. <laughs> they don't, I'm so well, sorry. they don't talk about them much in the book, to be completely honest, because she doesn't run across that many of them. Yeah, I think there's a few lines here but, and there that she mm-hmm. does maybe mention them. I was going to say, because I was a little bit confused, having not read the book, I didn't really understand what the Econo people really were. Like, she right. talked about, like, you know, if I had played my cards right, even if I had even known that there were cards to play, and I was just like, I don't understand what's happening. Okay, so, Econo people. Mainly, Econo wives is the term that's used in the literature. Mm-hmm. Um, but if, uh, if I had to look, Econo wives, there econo must people. be Econo husbands. Right. So, so Econo people. I had mm-hmm. to look this up because it's been a long time since I read the book um, or listened to the audio book, and I wanted to be super clear um, about because I'm sure other people listening might also be confused. Yeah. So Econo wives are married to low-ranking men, but they can be fertile, as we see in the novel when Econo wives walk by in a funeral. And there mm-hmm. are children, obviously, in these housing complexes where the Econo people live. Mm-hmm. Married, fertile, but low-ranking women who were good women, quotations, mm-hmm. became Econo wives. Right. Um, single, good women who are infertile become Marthas. Mm-hmm. Single women who are fertile or fertile but immoral mm-hmm. become handmaids. Right. Infertile bad women become unwomen or work at Jezebel's. Mm-hmm. So that's sort of how you're categorized. A, whether you're fertile or not fertile. And B, whether you're viewed by the government as a good person or a bad person. And then your mm-hmm. rank. And, uh, and, yeah, and your rank. Uh, so obviously high ranking, we have the wives. So if you're low ranking, you are a econo wife, which is such a great <laughs> Margaret Atwood, you <laughs> clever fox, you. Mm-hmm. So this whole term of like this this economized wife, like you're still a wife, like an econo box. That's like what, yeah. what, you, what you call you know a little bitty crap car that you buy you know yeah. when you're 16 years old. <laughs> it's, it's an econo box. So I think that I found this. It's um, on uh, fandom.com. Is I found this. Uh, that is, I will post that so that you guys can look at that. Because I think that would be useful. It's for it's super super useful because then I got I if I got confused I was like uh, yeah what's going on here. I was gonna say I just thought that maybe I just wasn't paying enough attention. I was so confused. Though. No, it's definitely a curveball because okay. they don't talk about it anything anything about Econo people in season one. Because that's what she's straight out of. Right? Mm-hmm. It's it's straight yeah. out of the it's straight out of the novel. Yeah, and that was actually... Okay, can we talk about that econo wife who just, like, judged the hell out of June? I sat there and I was like, who the hell do you think you are? I would, I would never, ever be able to hand my child over. I'd sooner die. Oh, now, come on. Tell me that you don't talk that way about people whose lives you don't understand. I think that's, I think that's the revealing point about how we do do that one mm-hmm. and i brought up mom shaming in the last episode yeah. and this is it this is it this is it mm-hmm. um and it's interesting that they're in the same regime they're all subjugated and you're like you have the god but she <laughs> but it's like you're I in the same think about it think about it bet 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 but think about it if She's they're in the telling regime. if they're telling the rest of the world that this is voluntary. That's true. They are probably telling the Econo people oh. that this was voluntary. Mm. 
What? Points to K. Megan Washington. Oh, they don't know that they. That were just rocked my world. Because <laughs> why would you? I can't. I mean, think. Oh God, I hate I'm to. So even, I hate to even. I hate to even bring this up. But think about everybody who saw Jews pulled off the street during the early part of the Holocaust were not hmm. horrible people. Hmm. They were being told that they were being sent elsewhere. They were being sent back where they came from. Mm-hmm. They, yeah, didn't they didn't know, know. they were. They didn't know they were in camps. They had no idea. Yeah. Oh my so, god! I'm, I'm still flabbergasted. I'm sorry. They're like, oh, okay. They're they're taking the Jews out of here. They don't want them living with the rest of us because initially what they did was they took them and they put them in ghettos by themselves. And it's like, okay, cool. That's that's fine. And then when they all disappear, it's like, oh well, I guess they sent them all back where they came from. That's what they've been saying they were going to do. Right. That they didn't belong here with with us. So that I guess they sent them back where they came from. They had no idea what was going on with them. I forget. There's a psychological term for that about like how you you know use information like that and like you cognitive use, dissonance. Like, yeah, like that cognitive, like. As a, as a whole, you're like, yeah, that's right. Yeah, 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 right? Yeah, mm-hmm. that's what they... Mm-hmm. Uh, cool. Okay, so, so, and then it eventually makes it, like, feel true. Mm-hmm. It's a heuri- It's called a heuristic. There um, you go. Right. Like a pre- uh, presence heuristic. Uh, so, like, for example, another example of this would be, um, okay, so you go to the beach and you have people that are freaked out about sharks. Well, that's absurd because the, the chances of a shark being at the beach, let alone coming near you, is next to none. If we actually look to the numbers, you're more likely to uh, drown in a pool while intoxicated with alcohol than you are to encounter a shark while mm-hmm. you're swimming at the ocean. So that's like a, a presence bias or a type of heuristic. Gotcha. Right. Um, same concept. So like you say it enough times and people start to believe that it's more frequent, it's more common, it's gotcha. a real thing, and even though it might not be. Thank you. Like I fake knew. news. That, uh, that's yeah. just misinformation. It's the same thing, but people say it enough and suddenly that's the real thing. Yeah. Right. So... I mean, I, I think that probably they what they were told was, well, these were particularly if you were if you were good people, right? Mm-hmm. Um, you know that there were these bad people and they were living ungodly lives, and we gave them the opportunity to make amends to make amends Shoot. by doing this, and they chose to do this. What? And they walked away. Stop blowing my mind, Kate. Stop it. I'm just saying. <laughs> I, it, no, same. I if, was like, if, oh, man, that's a good point. Think about yeah, it this damn. way. There can't be but so many handmaids. Mm-hmm. Okay? Yeah, there can't so be but people. so many There can't be but so many wives mm-hmm. because there's not but so many people at that level. Mm-hmm. Which means that the vast majority of people in Gilead have no have idea what's really be, going on. Have to be econo people. They're a middle class. They're the middle right. class. Oh, middle to man. lower class. Right. So... Here, uh, in this particular way, was explained um, that I found guardians technically are part of the middle class because mm-hmm. they're provided for like food and shelter and things like that. And in the literature, um, in the novel, uh, he says that you know if he establishes a rank enough, then he's uh, he awarded or eligible for, for a wife. A wife. Right. So oh, cool. it's not like you like walk around and like find people like you, it's uh, oh gosh there's another dystopian novel that's similar to it's this. It's a laddered rank system. Yeah. Oh gosh, I can't think of it. Oh right wait, now. A what? A laddered rank system. Oh, laddered rank. Okay, I got it. And I so heard something else. <laughs> <laughs> We're not saying it. <laughs> uh, I can't think of the the novel that I'm thinking of right now where it's like you get assigned a wife. Oh, the giver. 
the I don't think you're giver. assigned wives in the giver, are you? I know that you're assigned a future. You know what? You might actually be, right. I'm going to look, look it up. You're assigned a future, get back to you next and they week. don't have emotions, and if they don't have emotions, how would they yeah, they're like, with another they're person? They're like paired based on they're like, paired this people. is how... And they yeah. don't even make their own babies. They're handed babies. Yes. You were right. This is the giver. The giver. <laughs> oh my God, I just had to work that out, guys. <laughs> we read three brains. way too much dystopian fiction. Yeah, three... But it's the best kind of fiction, guys. Are better yeah, than one. It's like... Um, <laughs> There's also that episode of Black Mirror with the dating people where you... Yeah. Let's not talk. We're not going there. (laughs) I'm sure there's an app. I haven't haven't looked it up, Uh but I'm sure there is an after show podcast of Black Mirror, which I'm going to start listening to now that Kate brought it up. Mm. (laughs) I'm going to look for it. Most of those Black Mirror episodes, like, are pretty close to reality. Yeah. Close enough to be just... just Okay, so there's one. I think it was season one. Where, like, the kid is blackmailed into doing things, and it's just a big chain of being blackmailed to do things. Mm-hmm. That's happened. Yeah. That's real. Yeah, so I, they may be under the impression that a lot of a lot more of this is voluntary mm-hmm. on their parts than actually is. Yeah. Um, and, and in which case, it would make perfect sense for her to say, I can't believe you gave your kid up mm-hmm. to do this and now you're trying to run away I that mean, suddenly is, makes so much more sense yeah. and i love that june's retort was like yeah i, I thought so to, too i thought so too i mean honestly mm-hmm. if if those wives had any i think some of them do because if but martha's live in the household so i right. doubt that ma- more any martha's really are within this middle class community disseminating information because I think a lot of Marthas kind of have a good idea about what the hell the handmaids. Oh yeah, no, through. the Marthas know what's up, mm-hmm. and they also have like a gossip network. I think what they do. It's what? in the book. It's, they do have a gossip. Tell network. me more. Yeah, this is so exciting. <laughs> There's a gossip network for Marthas. They, yes. they love to talk. You know what I'm saying? Oh my god. Yes. Um, so, can you keep all that juicy gossip to yourself? Uh, yeah, I know. That's how they. That's how I think a lot of the underground gets you know whispered about is uh is the Marthas. and they always talk about how Martha's are always trying to escape versus mm-hmm. like the econo people are like content just enough where they're like i'm not gonna try and make these grandiose kind of gestures mm-hmm. the handmaids are under a lock and key it'd be very very difficult for a handmaid to get away but which is Martha's why have a lot of Martha's movement. they have this sort of gray area where like they sort of can and they see enough where they're like I'm freaking out of here, y'all. Yeah, because even remember, like, season one, when uh, June and, oh, Rita. Sorry? Rita. Rita, thank you. Uh Head out, and Rita's in the Martha uniform, Mm -hmm. and everyone's just like, okay, you good? Okay, bye. Like, okay, because everyone's intimidated by Martha. Oh, you mean, you're drinking the aunts. I thought that was a Martha. No. That was an aunt? God damn it, I cannot keep this straight. <laughs> okay, so you were thinking about when they were trying to escape the Red Center and they stole the outfit. That's definitely an aunt. However, Martha's do Was have... Was the Red Center? Mm-hmm. But, Martha's, but you are right, though, that Martha's mm-hmm. do have a certain amount of, like... Scare. scare. And movement. Movement. Yes, and they're allowed to move around, and people just sort of don't look at them the same way that you don't look at most servants. They're just I think... there to... What makes it confusing is that the actress who plays Rita, Amanda Bruegel, looks so damn young. Because realistically, mm-hmm. I think Rita's supposed to be in her 50s. Because she talks about having a 20-year-old son. Yeah. So if she was even if she was in her 20s, 
when she had her son, and then 20 years later, so it puts her in her 40s. Mm-hmm. And this is sometime after that. So we're, t- so we're talking about in the 40 to 50s range. I'm not saying that, like, if you're 40, you, like, have to look old. That's not what I'm saying. No, but she but, looks but, Amanda, Yeah, Amanda Bruegel looks like she's 20, yeah. is my point. Which is, I mean, good for you, Amanda. Like, I want to know your skincare regimen, if that's real. Like, yeah. I mean, what's up? But that's not, that doesn't work for fiction recreation yeah, like, is right. difficult yeah. to understand as is mm-hmm. yes. which also makes like it look makes it look like Yvonne Strahovski, Serena Joy, Rita, Amanda Bruegel and Elizabeth Moth Offred all look the similar age. They're all about the same Thank age. You. And they're not they're not they're, they're totally not. not. It's so confusing. Yeah. And I haven't even read the books, guys. <laughs> well, in the books Serena's way older. Way older. Older than Rita. Like we're talking like 60s here. Close, maybe. Uh, the second housewife or wife or whatever we want to call them of Emily. Yes. yes. That character. Yes. Um, like that's sort that's, of the age. That's how old that you're talking right. here. Yeah. Typically. Okay. So I wish they would actually represent that. Like I, I love Serena and who she's being, you know. Yvonne does a great job. Thank you. Mm-hmm. She's beautiful and she's an incredible actress. Stunning. Like I have no complaints there, but I think it would make more sense if they were to follow the age discrepancies that were written in the book because when you explain them to me, it makes way more sense than what I'm watching. Gotcha, yeah. Not to say that what I'm watching doesn't make sense, but it makes more sense the way you're yeah. putting it out. I think at some point I had said that like that maybe they had done it intentionally to have that sort of rivalry contention between June and And maybe they're doing Serena. it to like yeah, maybe well, they're doing it on the same level that like we're at the same age group and you're able to have kids and I can't. Right. Like that's maybe that's true. what it is. That I don't too. know. Yeah. I mean because if they're if they're focusing that was actually one of the, the things I had an issue with with the book was if these wives are all beyond childbearing age then what is all of this ritual mm-hmm. stuff that they're doing? Just, you know, be a Just surrogate. Just be good that you be a, have be a, surrogate. a surrogate. And 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 give the baby to them. Um, well, maybe, and I think they figured that they, they had needed to have a wider age range. For that to make sense. For the whole thing you know what, to that's fair. hang together. That's very fair. Um, Unless, but, I mean, they were infertile to begin with. I think a lot of people are infertile to At begin with point, the, the, yeah. because we polluted the well, or maybe we they the had that older time. age for them because it took so long to get to that level. True, in society, I don't know. I mean, there's lots of different ways there's we can look at it, and only the writer would really know the truth. Wife. I think uh, because it seems like the sons of Jacobs were sort of this. I don't want to equate them to like the Masons because they're they're not the same. But it's just, <laughs> but yeah. the, the, it's a Mason like feeling group where they're yeah. they're a little you know there's secrets um, and <laughs> there's a lot of history there. Mm-hmm. And so when the sons of Jacobs then put themselves in power, whomever their wives happen to be, uh, some of them are older. Like Commander Price is mm-hmm. obviously older. Joseph Fiennes, who's commander uh, Waterford, is mm-hmm. obviously much younger than that. So it does, it does that play that there is a range yeah. of that whoever they're having. Pure, pure perfect sense. So let, let's, let's back up here a second. <laughs> <laughs> we're so and, off topic. <laughs> um, no, we're not. We're not. We're, we are it's, within, a com- it's a complicated world. We are, it is very. We are, within, we are within topic, definitely. But um, I just want to back up 
to our girl who done lost her mind. Oh my good <laughs> so, God! Yes, thank okay. you. So, so the 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 truck guy comes back right with the the construction truck, and mm-hmm. and she leaves, and uh, drops her off at a freaking barn, right? Yeah. And it it seems like um, uh, this is not like a farm in use. Maybe it seems sort of an outpost because it's this giant barn with a bunch of old signs, and uh, we see because Boston. No one can read anymore. No one can read anymore. Mm-hmm. Ha. Bust Ah! Wait, Kay. I thought Dropping they knowledge. could read, but they were not supposed to? Well, also, they took well, a lot of the old... not allowed to read. So what I'm saying is... They can if, still read, but they're just not allowed to. Right. I don't mean they can't, like, they lost the ability to do so. Okay. I mean, they but, can't, like, they can't. They're not allowed to. So, then, so, so then they took them down to so take, you wouldn't have to you would ha- Right. So you would have oh, to take oh, the signs oh, down. Mm-hmm. Because okay. otherwise you would be tempting the women to read mm-hmm. all the time. So you just take them down. Okay. And they did change a lot of the iconography. Like when they're in the train station, they mm-hmm. took down all the old signs. Like they said, where are all the street signs? So they're sort of remaking a nation in their own image the way that they feel they're not just like occupying a space right and calling it theirs they're they're reimagining it so all these signs are taken down there's the sign for boston logan airport and then there's mm-hmm. one for um welcome to salem massachusetts mm-hmm. and uh our uh main econo person character in this episode uh omar uh it goes are you a good witch or a bad witch <laughs> and i was like yes <laughs> And he goes, uh, depends who you ask. <laughs> and so he explains that um, he's going to take her to a safe house, and that safe house is going to walk her to an airstrip. And the airstrip right. has a little puddle jumper, which is basically like a little Cessna. Um, and he makes these jumps to and from Canada. Right. Mm-hmm. First of all, how are you having airspace and your what? Does not make sense to me, but <laughs> that you're allowed well, to do not, that. It's not legal airspace. He said he was a who's a black marketeer. Ah, uh, yeah. truth, truth. That he truth. brings stuff. Truth. You know, like yeah, things they're not black supposed market. to have. I Little knickknacks here and there. Yeah. yeah. So he says Playboy magazines. Right? Yes, yeah. exactly. The commander has pregnancy yeah. test. Pregnancy yeah. test. Exactly. Um, That's so, why people look the other way. They get what they want. Yeah. As as they're leaving. Um, he starts to freak out and he says, the safe house isn't safe. And we're like, oh shit, something's happened in the But pipeline. I couldn't figure out what it was that he saw. Mm-hmm. I rewatched that scene like three times. Mm-hmm. He was looking at his phone. I think he got a text from someone saying like, oh. don't take her to the safe house. It's been compromised. Mm-hmm. So. And then that bitch just left him. I mean, her. He was gonna. And then he. Well, that's what he's supposed to do. He's that's supposed what he's supposed, supposed to do. And then Becky decides she's going to jump in front of the van. <laughs> I'm sorry. I love Gosh. you, Abigail, but come on. Darn it, Becky. Um, <laughs> so this is obviously, you know, from a character standpoint, she has been deprived of human contact other than Nick for like two straight months. She doesn't know what's happening with her life. She finally is going in a direction. She thinks she's getting out. She gets sent to this creepy ass barn with people. She, the people, person who shows up, she doesn't know. Doesn't know what's going to happen. And all of a sudden, he says he's going to leave her in the creepy-ass barn in the middle of nowhere. So she is, like, begging him. He said him. somebody would be back yeah. to get her. But and just he so- needed to leave. I'm sorry. This whole episode just reeked of white girl privilege. I called... I'm sorry. I called June Becky the entire <laughs> episode. Because she's endangering this black she's man. She's endangering everyone around her at this point. Well, and particularly him. This is a black guy. 
Driving a bread with truck. A, with a, driving a bread truck. Bread truck. With a runaway white girl in the back of it that he then takes home to his, his family, house. to his <laughs> wife and son. And, and so when Omar's wife, Abigail's lost it. Abigail's lost her mind. We lost Abigail. Okay. Okay, yes. but mm-hmm. when you say Becky, you know what that reminds me of? Mm-hmm. In uh, Finding Dory, where uh, the little, the little funny little bird that goes down that like has like oh, one feather. Her right, name's right. Becky. Becky. <laughs> Becky isn't it? That's Becky. That's Becky. So you say she's Becky, and I think of the bird, and I'm like, yes, that is totally she's, her. Well, she's looking so like you, a Becky. You went, you went there, and I went Becky with the good hair. Becky from, with the good from, hair. From, yeah. Okay. Well, I mean that one too. I know what you were uh-huh. saying, but that's what. Right. I, I thought otherwise. She's, yeah. she's looking like a Becky in this episode. Let's be real. <laughs> I mean, okay, yeah. Obviously, she's desperate, and she's I understand using that. I but get she that. and I she do. doesn't understand what, and she's putting at risk. She doesn't have a clue what's she going on. No one's told her anything. To be fair, she doesn't know. But she shows up at like the apartment and sees that he has a family, and she's just like, "Cool, well, thanks for letting me crash here." And, and then, we're like. Girlfriend, like they're all going to die. Yeah. Like, what are you who's Why doing? Why would you say that? Get out. And so, and then the wife's pissed off. Oh, understandably, I'm with her. But did she know that he was making? That he was runs? doing this. I don't yeah. know. He pro- she probably did. Because of Paul, she handled it relatively well, considering. Which makes me think that she had to have some, some idea. Some but idea. he doesn't bring them home. Yeah. Well, no, true. that's true. True. You can go ahead and do it. And, do and the it kid was pretty chill out. about it all. Yeah. He's, he's so like, cute. oh, this is a person. He doesn't, well, he doesn't know anything. Yeah. That's and she's very dressed true. like a normal person. Yeah. So she's not dressed just like a like, okay, whatever. Yeah. So, um, so there's that. And then they go off to church, which it turns out they're all, they're, well, at least he's a Muslim. Mm-hmm. But they go off to church to, to do their, what, what does he, what does he call it? Their, oh, their, he this, shows their, public, their profession of faith. Yes, yeah. their profession of faith. Yeah. Um, which is, in fact, a, a religious term, but I think in his case means more along the lines of we're going to show them that we're, way we're going to make our, outward, our yeah. outward, you know. Like, it's not required, but totally required yes. kind of deal. Yeah, exactly. absolutely. And so, I, I thought that was an interesting twist when she found under the bed, when she was hiding under the bed, someone came knocking on the door and she hid under the bed and she found the Koran and, and his prayer mm-hmm. rug. And I was like, that is a great interjection of sort of like okay we're so used to seeing what is the dichotomy of struggles here we talk about Mm -hmm. christianity all the time to walk sorry i don't know how that Mm -hmm. came out like that they talk about christianity all the time and how it differs from this regime and um regular christianity for lack of a better term i'm sorry but like you know like most general christian denominations Mm -hmm. what they believe and prescribe to and what this um extreme uh, extremists mm-hmm. have contorted it to be and what they've done with it in order mm-hmm. to get their way. And so we've seen the contrast of that and then now to be like, oh, you know, there really is this suppression of other people's faiths. And to see someone in their own way still rebel in their way by practicing the faith that means the truest to them, I was like, that's beautiful. It's just like a reminder mm-hmm. to ground us like, Okay, these are Econo people. There's this person who's like a humble bread person, you know, and then there's the wife, you know, who also, you know, works, you know, in in some other department and they're taking care of their child. And everywhere they walk, there is a guard every five feet. 
mm-hmm. less than that probably. But remember that your explanation of Akama people was that they were good people, quote unquote, before. Right. So how did he qualify if he believed they in a completely was, different? They didn't know he was a Muslim. He probably hit it. Okay, so if no one knew he was a Muslim, what did they think they were if they were just decidedly good, quote unquote, people? That I think we get such a small snippet here, and I hope they. That's flesh what I want to know. That, that mm-hmm. I hope they flesh it out a little bit more later on because it's such an interesting class of people. Now that we yeah, uh, were like, oh, you exist, yay! Like, yes, mm-hmm. there's this whole swath of you know people that we haven't explored yet, and we just get a taste of them. And and I agree with you. I feel like that would be a great. Maybe great that's just the entire explore. rest of society is that if you're not at this top level and if you don't fit any of the other qualifications and you're just a generally accepted person in society you need people to till you're the allowed land. to be an econo pe- you need person. people to mm-hmm. till the land you need people to drive the bread trucks you need people to so you keep the infrastructure the that's there basically and you mm-hmm. just turn them just into econo people right. well that also they've converted a lot of people from what their jobs used to be and just converted them to their same jobs just under sort of like a different like Parameters, structures, yeah. right. because in um, back in Canada, up north, Moira mm-hmm. has sort of become this like refugee counselor, and so every time a refugee comes in from Gilead, he she is is coaching this young man, and he sort of has this like panic attack, and he explains to her and goes, "I was I was just in the army, and then when they took over, they made me a guardian, just suddenly out of nowhere. You know, I was in logistics and yeah. computers and stuff, <laughs> yeah. and." Then, you know, a weekend, we're hanging people on the wall. And my ex-boyfriend was up there. Yeah. And you're like, okay. So I like this this intersection mm-hmm. that they're bring, they're pulling people in. So you're really getting a sense of what this world is like in the present moment. Right. Because we focused a lot in season one about how we got here. And this very tight group of people, really. Sons of Jacob. Mm-hmm. We don't know like, how anyone else got there, though. Yeah, And, and the yeah. people who mm-hmm. were their basically mercenaries who carried mm-hmm. out these attacks on the White House and Congress and Supreme Court, they could they could very well be true believers. Many of them probably are, but mm-hmm. um, very most likely a lot of regimes are just paid. You know, yeah. a lot of mercenaries are just paid. I mean, that's basically how all of Nazis happened. Mm. I mean, well, a lot yeah. of them, you know, didn't realize, you know, what exactly was going on or what they were doing. They were just or getting paid. They were getting paid and they were given orders. Mm-hmm. And I mean, I, I know that legally currently in our current state, mm-hmm. it is illegal to pull that quote unquote Nazi card where you say I was following orders. That's mm-hmm. not allowed. But if you look even at our own men, like our own uh, military personnel go overseas and they shoot at whoever they have been told are designated bad people. They don't actually right. necessarily no know. I mean, they might for all I know. However, it's entirely possible there's that they a don't. Gray area there, They're that told there's by someone else absolute, above them who's above them who's yeah. above them. There's not an absolute faith of truth right. of that what right. is being handed down to you is actually right. the truth. And you just have to hope that they're doing the right thing. And yeah. so that hope is under a guise of you being paid every single, you know, two to four weeks. Yeah. <laughs> and, also, if you, I can, mean, if you imagine the point of view of this young man that just, you know, that Moira was speaking to, you're in the army, then all of a sudden someone tells you you're a guardian and then you're stringing people up. So then how do you escape from that? You don't. Because now you're just like, oh, here I am. Like, how did this happen? So I think that's that's very interesting. And, and to go back to um, Omar and... Um, his Quran and his prayer rug. Mm-hmm. It is, you know, we mentioned the, the Holocaust um, earlier already, and and that's very hearkening back to that. Mm-hmm. And we often don't see that imagery because we're so accustomed to it uh, about 
Judaism mm-hmm. and the persecution of Jewish people. And uh, we so often don't think or refuse to think about the the, prosecu- the persecution and suppression of um, Islamic people, mm-hmm. even in our country also. So to take it that step further and like you're hiding your Quran underneath your bed, you know, in order to profess that you're a Christian or else mm-hmm. you'll die. Right. Um, so, and even in um, Middle Eastern countries, I am not a Middle East scholar by any means, but, you know, the extreme versions, you know, of these extremists, basically, in, in the Middle East that currently are, you know, the, the amount of times that people tell us, you know, this is not uh, our Islamic faith, this is not mm-hmm. what we pre- prescribe to, and they sort of get lumped into this category where, you know, um, (coughs) Muslims are um, extremely widely persecuted in the Middle East because people who have these very extreme beliefs go out and and persecute those people who don't have beliefs as extreme as theirs. Right, Mm -hmm. and I I can't tell you how many times I've come across Muslims that were handing out um, little flyers, you know, Mm -hmm. and they're like, this is what the Quran preaches, and they'll have, like, a list of ten things. Mm -hmm. And it's very progressive and, like, feminist and, like, it, there's no reason to be hating on these average people that just want to live their life and believe their beliefs. Yeah. Like, they're absolutely. they're not extremists. They actually have very progressive views. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's just, it's, when you don't understand other people's lives, you tend to make them the other, and then mm-hmm. you have to, then you... You makes, assume that one is easier. the mass. Right. Yeah. So, um, but then they go off to church to make their profession of faith. Yeah. And they say they're going to be home by like two. And then it gets late. And then rather than just stay her behind where she's supposed to go. She impersonates an Akana wife. Mm -hmm. She's fucking ballsy as shit. And she walks out the goddamn front door. (laughs) What the hell? (laughs) With a map. With a map in her freaking pocket. And I'm like, girlfriend, you better tuck that map in your goddamn pocket. Or I swear to God, Walk and just like with her hair and, and literally just I like mean, everyone just, like yeah. making their way, she doesn't even know where she's going. She's just following all the Akana wives. Mm-hmm. So she's following them. She's just walking with them and eyeing like every two feet the guard with the machine guns. Just literally every two feet. Why these people are so guarded? It's crazy. Um, but I mean, that's how you keep people in line, you know. Mm-hmm. Obviously, in this uh, in this world, and eventually they make it to a train, and there's no words on the train. There's just little of pictures course. of what the stops are. And she gets up on a stop, and she feels confident enough. She's like, she freaking books it in the woods. And Well, it's the end of the line. So it's the end no of the line, so she has no mm-hmm. choice. She goes, and she books it in the woods. And then now she's having this flashback moment, and she's really having to contend with whether she's really going to leave or whether she's going to stay, or whether she's going to let Hannah go in this moment. And she's having um, flashbacks of all the scenes we have in uh, season one, episode one, where they're in the woods, they're running, Hannah's wrenched away from her, and she's captured. So all of that is very present for her, and it's and it's working through her. And she is running through the fields, and she finds the airstrip. And I think somewhere in between there, she really comes to the conclusion that, like, this is the decision that I have to make, whether it's for herself or for Hannah. Okay, or... but let's be real. I don't care what you have to say next because I'm sorry, but <laughs> like that was very rude of me. But to be real, if she decides that she can't leave Hannah back, she's got 20 steps back to go. <laughs> There's no way it's going to happen. Truth. Yeah, like where do you where do you go from I here? I don't care what her thoughts are. She has no here? other choices besides death. 
Yeah, because then what are you going to do? Just, like, hide out in the forest? You're going to get caught eventually. Like, no, she's going to gonna die. going to try to, like, right. be undercover. Go to the airstrip in... or die. Those are your two choices. Yeah. She's being stupid. Once again. Well, yeah, that's what I'm saying. Yeah. Is that she, it's, it Betty. was just this whole, right. It's just this whole, <laughs> like, it was just this whole entitled thing. I know best. Mm-hmm. And you all aren't back. And I told myself that I was never going to be in this situation again where well, I was completely helpless. And so I'm just going out there. Okay, yeah, it's ballsy, but it's ballsy and stupid. No, she it's has very no stupid. no idea where she is. She's got this map. The only, she's got a map. Okay, cool. She can follow the map. The map has words on it. I'm telling you, that woman said, sitting behind her on the train yeah. is the one that turned her behind in. Yeah. Hey, um, excuse me, uh, Guardian, there with the... Uh, I saw uh, a I map. I saw this woman... And she had a map, and she was looking at it, and it had words on it. And I didn't read it, because, you know, we're not allowed to do that, but I did see that it had words on it. And she tucked it back in her pocket, and then when we all got off the train, I didn't see her anymore. So you might want to, you know, go look for her. Everybody is looking Everybody's looking for her. her. And also, since the safe house was compromised, it's not a far jump to say that, like, they, you know... No. They found they found this black market person is is taking them down. It just so happened to be that that night was the one that June was on the trying was on the plane, and I thought it was interesting. You know, I mentioned already like pulling like these these people in from different walks of life, mm-hmm. so to speak. And she shows up, and then there's this kid there. She was like, "I'm just a driver. Please take me." And you're like, "What is going?" On. Like, I mean, it could have been him, the way he escaped, tipped mm-hmm. people off. I mean, it literally could have been a plethora of things of how this all really just turned to shit. Um, and it's probably a good combination of all of those things. Their their version of the FBI was like, aha, I've put the puzzle together. And uh, so whether they knew that she was on that plane or whether they just were capturing a black market guy or they followed this guy who or was escaping the driver, it, or, or the, yeah. the girl turned her in. It could have been any of those valid things. It really, truly could have been. Um, and we're very close to the border because if he has like this little Cessna that he's able to take to and from Canada, it can't be far. No, no, well, they're, in, they're yeah. in Massachusetts. Massachusetts yeah. is not that far. It's like a stone to, throw to Toronto. Yeah. Stone throw away. Um, I would like to also point out, Kay, you're right, yes. that she not only is ballsy, but stupid and feels entitled. But I would like to argue that after everything she's been through, at that point, like, you got to feel like, you know, you're this many steps forward. I am this close. Like, what can I do to just get there? Mm-hmm. Because I was told that from this point, I'd be, I'll be brought over to a guy who's a puddle jumper and I go across and I'm done. Like, you, you know how close I you get, are now. I yeah. get why she did it. Yeah. But I will point out, if she had stayed in the stupid barn where she was supposed to be... Everything probably would have worked out the way that... She'd be aight right now. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, maybe. We don't know that because he well, said it was compromised. He yeah. said the safe house was compromised and that someone was going to be back, not him, someone else was going to be back to move her and she threw herself in front of the van and refused to go anywhere. Now that just makes me really concerned yeah. for this Econo family that Oh they're that, dead. Oh no. As soon as they don't say that. As soon as they didn't oh, come back no. I knew they were dead. No. That's not true. Oh. You don't know that. Oh don't say it. It just makes me sad. Where were they then? I don't know. There Three could have been any late. number of things. 
any number of things. Some econo party after church. <laughs> you know the Baptists do? Like, it might be something like that. I don't know. They were at the potluck. They were at the potluck after church. Thank you. It could have You don't know. I'm just they're hoping dead. they are um, not dead. <laughs> I won't let that happen. Abigail and I are optimists. They're like, not dead. They're probably dead, but they're not. We're hoping they're not dead. In the same way, I was an optimist that Nick knew what was up at the beginning. Like, sure, give me you some are, faith here, Kay. You are, you are very faithful that things mm-hmm. are going to work out. I'm not a faithful person when it comes to policy, <laughs> but in this show, I need to be. <laughs> yeah. uh, I, I think. Um, the most poignant moment in this episode. I think this this episode for me was very uneven because I feel like we get a glimpse of her mother, but I feel like the storyline really played itself out in this one episode. And I'm like, this is such a dynamic character. This like, important figure, June's mother. Oh, and I we're sort of gone. tying it up in this bow. And and I guess you in know, the book too. Yeah, they really they really just didn't spend a whole much, a lot of time. I don't know if she if I recall her actually talking about her relationship with her mother in the book. She did. She does. It, 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 yeah, she talked mm-hmm. about her quite a bit actually, um, but then she meets Moira at um, Jezebel's and Moira tells her yeah. that they were run, that when she was recaptured before mm-hmm. they sent her to Jezebel's. They were running these um, videos of the colonies, and this is what could happen to you. And we could send you off to the colonies, or you could go work and you know work on your back, mm-hmm. um, which one you want to choose. And that she had seen June's mother, right, um, in the video. So um, I think I don't know. And it, then at that point, they just didn't talk about her. Anymore. Yeah, I don't know if it was maybe it was like really late when I because I stayed up to watch this, and and I just wasn't super into it because I was tired. But I was just. I was just feeling like usually I'm so connected to the emotional journey she's on. And this one, even though I have my own personal, you know, journeys with, you know, my mother and my family, and I'm sure a lot of people also do. And, and it uh, hopefully it resonated with you more than it did with me. But there was something about it, like this huge disconnect between her and her mother. Mm-hmm. And to circle it back around to whether she's going to leave Hannah or not. And the Abigail had referenced this quote earlier and, and it's, more full form um she's in the plane she's like no mother is ever completely a child's idea or of what a mother should be Mm -hmm. and i suppose it works the other way around we didn't do badly by one another we did better than most i wish my mother were here so i could tell her i know this now and that i forgive her and i hope hannah forgives me and so i'm feeling like that is like the 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 heart of this episode but then it gets so distracted and marred by like just the dumb actions that June has done <sighs> so i feel like that Kay is very right to be upset that like June's very problematic in this episode because it wants to be about like what is this relationship with your mother and the choices you make for your own children and that it's the mistakes Batman returns. <laughs> Yes, absolutely. Have you seen Batman Returns, the second Batman movie with Michael Keaton? Yeah. You know how they put both the Penguin and Catwoman in the same movie? Yes. And because they were both in there, 
it, it wasn't as good a movie it as was, it would have been if they yeah. had focused on one or the other. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I sort of felt like this needed to be two different episodes. Yeah. Her running around and trying to establish a new routine for herself in the globe thing, thinking about her mother and her relationship with her mother, and then her moving on to wherever. The, the, trying to put it all together. Just Putting it all together much. was very muddled. Yes. Yeah. yeah. I think that's the feeling I it got. It was kind of hard to follow everything because we were all over the place on both fronts. And we introduced like a huge new thing, and you're like, "Ick, hello, people, what?" And you then know, we just ride right past it, and we ride right <laughs> past them. So yeah, and and we spent it is it is a, t- a tone shift in from season one when we spend so much time thinking about these things right. and the little nuances, and it just moved really fast. Like and you know, I was kind of disappointed that this is where they went with this episode. I was really hoping to have those couple of episodes where a side story development would happen. Right. But I mean, no. we're still missing, I mean, we get a we're little missing Moira. We're Or, I'm sorry, two months. Uh, Moira, you know, other than counseling up in Canada, she was hooking up with that girl, but she really wasn't feeling that girl, so she just sort of, like, was going through the motions. Of- Not even going through the motions. She's like, I'll get you up, but you're not touching me. Yeah. <laughs> well, because, and, and I thought that because what, the intimacy. What, what, under, what underscored that was when the girl asked her what her name was, she said her name was Ruby. Yeah. Right? Let's say her name was Moira. Yeah. She gave her her hooker name. Yeah. Or, you know, when you're, like, at a place and you give someone a fake name like that. Yeah. But, but yeah, that, that name obviously has a lot of weight to it because that's what the name she used at Jezebel's. Right, and that's what you do if, you, if that is what you, mm-hmm. if you are a sex worker. Yeah. You get other people off and you are not concerned about. Yeah. I think one of the bright spots of this episode, honestly, was the one-liner by uh, Luke's friend. Oh, my God. And <laughs> Blessed like, be the Fruit Loops. Blessed be oh the Fruit Loops. Oh, my God. How long have you been holding on to that one? <laughs> While die, yes, die, and so we have six thirty this morning, howling, (laughs) probably waking up my neighbors. (laughs) I think that I feel is a bright spot because you go, you see Moira in these in these moments, really subtle, just contending with life day to day, and she just comes home and she is just like she's. She's over it. <laughs> and she's antagonizing, basically, this poor young girl. And, and her response is this levity and this moment where everyone just sort of... And Luke's, like, super depressed, wrapped in a blanket on a couch. And they all just have this moment where they laugh. <laughs> and for people who have gone through as much trauma as they, I think to have that moment with such, like, a, oh, a breath of fresh air, like, okay, they're making progress. And progress looks different on everybody. Yeah. And, and and I think that was just such like a great communal moment, them all laughing together. And she spoke. <laughs> she said words. <laughs> and it was the best line, I think, of um, the season, if maybe the series, <laughs> debatable. I, I, but, uh, I, I could, I, it took me a while to figure out why Moira was yelling at her. And then I realized, I think she was eating Moira's cereal. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> You know, when you have you roommates know, you and they home, eat your shit. You come home, you, you, know, you come your home and you got your roommates there and you look at your roommates great. eating the last of the ice cream that you put together for yourself and you put aside for oh, yourself and you're like, you know what? God damn Fuck it. you. Yeah. That actually <laughs> makes so much more sense. I was not having it. There think, yeah, she, I was she was I think she was eating her cereal. <laughs> and that was funny. why she popped up with Blessed Be the Fruit Loops. <laughs> How long have you been holding on to that? That's <laughs> just the best retort. It's really, yeah. I felt like that was one of my favorite parts in this whole episode. Honestly, it really, really was. 
I think I think the storyline with the mother is important, and I think what it's saying about motherhood and letting go. I think that's that's all brilliant. But and I even I I I, I did like that one moment where. You know, she's reflecting on it, and she said, I should have known better mm. when I was told that we were going to go feeding the ducks at night. Mm-hmm. And then you find out that they're, like, burning all the names of their rapists. Yeah. I mean, mm. that's just, that holds so much weight with this, yeah. like, the tone of the series and what's going on. I think so, too. It makes me think, like, you know, what your viewpoints are as a child, what your motivations are. And mm-hmm. then when, you know, you have a mother who's extremely progressive and very strong about about her activities, it becomes, like... You know, it doesn't become about you. It becomes about your mom. And when you're at, at, at a young age and you're developing your viewpoints about the world, sometimes it doesn't serve a young child to just be like, this is what your beliefs should be. This is what my beliefs are. Look how strong my beliefs are. Because, you know, she just wanted to go feed the ducks. Yeah. And I think we take that for granted as adults. You know, I'm not personally a mother, but I think we can take that for granted. That the, the kid just wants to play with his truck. Mm-hmm. And everyone around them is, you know, conspiring against the government. You know, it's it's this. <laughs> he's just, he's and just and some people honor the him. innocence. I think that's what Gilead really is powerful at: is they honor the innocence of childhood and children. That. And mm-hmm. and the world before, um, in our world now, I feel sometimes we take that for granted. Um, I have a young lady. She's much. She's not a child, but she's a, a junior in high school. And uh, she is doing an abroad trip, which is great. And it just, it reminds me every time that I interact with her about how much she puts on her plate in order to try of what she feels like will get her to the next step. And I feel like that's a lot of young people, you know, trying to get into college. You pad your resumes as much as possible and work yourself to death and all the sports and all those things. And a lot of those things have validity to be a well-rounded person, sure. And if you truly enjoy those activities and and, and truly have the energy, I wish I still had the energy to do all of those things. (laughs) Right? Um, I can hardly do, like, the laundry and, like, cook in the same day. Like, I I, I, can hardly... Thank you. I'm so glad I'm not alone. Oh, no. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I just thought I was a worthless human being sometimes. (laughs) (laughs) But that's what I'm saying is, like, we have these perceptions of, like, what childhood should be, what, uh, you know, feminism should be, what, you know, being a wife should be. And it's all these shoulds and constructs. And what Gilead has sort of broke open is, you know when you force someone one way and you look at the other side of where you just were not so long ago. Three years is honestly Mm -hmm. seems like a long time, but it's kind of not. Right. You know, thinking of myself three years ago, it's, it's, it's a vast, vast difference. So to see on the other side, how, how different someone is forcing your life to be and looking back and feeling like, okay, there should be some in between because now I see that back then, this is what I was concerned with. That was not so important. And then now I'm being forced to care about this thing, which is... is and then give yourself another three yeah. years, and whatever that thing is right now, you'd be like, why? Yeah. So it's a continuum, continuous issue. Yeah. That we that have. Was, that was my long-winded way of, of saying <laughs> that, you know, it, it, Gilead has forced everybody into a perspective yeah. about their lives. And good or bad. And obviously Gilead is still an evil regime for the brutality that they um, inflict on other people and their their Yeah, but we're not arguing against that. We're yeah. just ar- we're looking at the situation aspects. of mm-hmm. what has happened has sort of broke open this we're conversation. We're not Gilead necessarily. Yeah, However, yeah. you know the, the conversations are worth warranting. Well, it's yeah. like um, 
what's her name? Off Glen number two. Mm-hmm. Talking about, you know, oh, yeah. hey. <laughs> Don't mess with this. This is I, the best I got. This yeah. is the best I've got. You know, given where I came from, given what my life was like before this. They gave me a home. They gave me a roof over my head. I'm mm-hmm. not on drugs. Like, yeah. this is a great life for me. Yeah. So, I mean, it's just perspective. Absolutely. Alrighty, I think that wraps us up for episode three. I mean, that was a very contentious episode. Yeah, <laughs> unless, of course, we want to take a vote here as to where we think June's going. Oh, my oh. God. Can we do that? Oh, my God. Yes. No. Because after this, we're going to talk about Michelle Wolf. because how can we not talk about Michelle Wolf? Okay, so <laughs> what do we think is going to happen next, Katie? I have no idea. I'm asking. I mean, I, I what, are, what are they going to do with her? I mean, they, they, okay. they, so. they can't take her back to the commander's house no. because she'll just they, they can't trust her to stay there no they i guess they could take her back to the like the red center or wherever it depends it was they who were. they is they 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 are god damn it <laughs> <laughs> it depends oh. who the they are are you thinking yes that, that the that the pilot was not actually the pilot oh no that's possible though Totally. That's what just crossed my mind was maybe the pilot wasn't actually the pilot. You know, it wasn't the good pilot. Maybe, you know, the eye, the, the, they, since they figured out where everybody was. Okay, and there's he too was many like, options now. So the, the pilot could be the pilot or not the pilot. Because uh, if the pilot's not the pilot, then the people shooting the pilot would be the folks with the revolution. Right. So then in that case, she's safe. In which case, she's safe. However... If it is the real pilot and the people shooting down are not the revolution, it's the government, then she may or may not be screwed depending on her story. She is pregnant, though. I mean, they could, like, lock her up and change her to a bed like they did the other girl. Yeah. And then she'd be safe until that pregnancy is done. Yeah. Put her in a medically induced coma. Yeah. You know what? I think that would be the lesser of evils. Because they can't kill her. No, not with the child. That's illegal. They absolutely cannot. That's illegal. They absolutely would not. They don't have to give her good treatment. How long has she? How long has she been pregnant? Can Uh, they do it? Two plus one month. They can't do it. They can't do it. They can't do a DNA test until that kid comes out. Nope. So no, I was gonna say if they had a way of discovering whose kid it was beforehand, if they found out. I don't think they have the the time right now. I don't think that they would honestly care. Because yeah, Commander not. Waterford, can you imagine, imagine what that would look like for Commander Waterford to yeah, be like, no. oh, it's Nick's baby, like my driver? Like, hell. No, they're not going to do it. Not. Okay, so that's not it. All right, so either she's safe and or she's And the wife probably not. knows anyways. Like, she's not going to want that to happen. Yeah. And she's in the ear of the commander. Yeah. So she's fine for DNA-wise. Yeah. Well, a wife has been sent to the colonies that we know that it is possible now, so the wives are not untouchable. So if Serena is in some business, it's not, it, it wouldn't be out of, well, out of the realm. But we're not aware of this yet. Yeah. yeah. So I, I don't know where she's going. Yeah. I have no idea. Anybody I want mean, to she's so at the probably going to be maimed, mm-hmm. I feel. The same thought came to me from when she was about to be hanged. Mm-hmm. Nick said to trust. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. But she's straight off the path. She sure Not did. to be too you into the woodsy about it. You know what? You are correct. You are correct. <laughs> nice reference. She's not about trust. it. She, 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 she straight off the path. And, uh, yeah. I, and now the wolf's going to be. I'm going to post on the Facebook page. Please follow, like our Facebook page. I'll post 
question, tell us what you think, and um, leave us a review on iTunes so uh, we can. Um, Maybe we should do some polls. polls on Facebook too. Yeah, we'll do some Ooh, polls. Yes. That'll be fun. We will be back next week with episode four and see what uh, it has in store for uh, June here. And uh, thank you so much to Abigail and Kay for joining me again. And we will talk to you again soon. Bye. Thank you for listening to The Handmaid's Podcast. My name is Donna Bali. I'm your host and producer. Thank you to Abigail Johnson and Kay Megan Washington, my co-hosts this episode. Our logo is designed by Jocko Strakaj. Our sound mixing and mastering is by Joel North. And we record at the Look On Media Studios in downtown Baltimore, Maryland. Please connect with us on Facebook at The Handmaid's Podcast or send us an email at thehandmaidspodcast at gmail.com. If you like our work and would like to support us, you can find us on coffee.com and send us a donation. That is ko-fi.com slash the handmaid's podcast.